This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair Number 382, March the 5th, 1997. Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, Mark Rushduni, and I will now be discussing the modern state. The modern state. When we do, I think it is well to recognize that the modern state is really the return of the ancient pagan state, that it is not a Christian institution or agency or civil government, but a radically pagan one. I'd like to read a few sentences from Social Groups in Modern England Henry A. Mess, M-E-S-S, published in 1940. More true now than when it was written. The writer says, Let us next examine the term state. State is a political conception. It has to do with government. A group of persons are said to be citizens of a state when they live in a clearly defined territory and are all of them bound to observe certain rules of behavior which are drawn up and enforced by persons who have been given power or who have seized power for that purpose. It is a distinguishing mark of a state that there is no authority external and superior to itself." Now that sentence is the key one. It is a distinguishing mark of a state that there is no authority external or superior to itself. Now this means, of course, that uh, over the centuries of Christendom there have been very few states. It means also that into this century or up to it, the United States was not a state because it did recognize a higher power. It did recognize that there was a law above and beyond the law. It was only in the early 1950s, 52 I believe, that the legal revolution took place whereby the Supreme Court made clear there was no higher law and it began to discard all the paraphernalia of Christianity. Now, of late we've seen a a rather dramatic example of this. San Francisco for 60 years has had a huge cross on top of a hill visible from many parts of the city. Easter sunrise services have been held there every year and other uh, services as well. Now, by the ruling of a court, that cross must come down because it constitutes an establishment of religion. 
However, in San Jose, a little south of San Francisco, an Aztec serpent god is portrayed in a statue put up by the city in a public place. But the courts have sustained its uh, legitimacy. We are, of course, de-Christianizing the country. In one county, a lawsuit took the cross off the uh, police cars and sheriff's cars because that area, even to the name of the county, reflected the Spanish era and had a name which in Spanish indicated that it was the Holy Cross area. So, biblical law, God's law, is invalid. It was once the law of the courtroom in this country. If you went to court, the jury, at least into the 1840s, a law professor has told me, would decide the case out of the Bible. We had very little statute law. No one thought anything of that. The country was Christian. The various states, in many cases, either had an established church or an establishment of Christianity. Well, now we have a situation of growing lawlessness. When you abandon God, you also abandon law. Early in the Victorian era, one of the leading figures in the intellectual life of England was Matthew Arnold. Matthew Arnold was ready to junk Christianity. Regretfully, he said, but he saw no future for it. What he wanted to substitute in its place, and a great many Victorians agreed, was morality. He felt that the kind of morality that was represented by the Bible and Christianity was eternally true. Well, within a few years, having doubted God, they doubted the morality that came from God and His Word. So today, morality is seen as purely a matter of personal choice. And the result is that the tyrant state is in process of developing. So we are in a crisis the world over. Having denied God, we have denied morality and the foundations of law. So law is being re replaced by regulations, bureaucratic rules, the fiat will of judges, anything and everything but a moral law. We are in a crisis. The modern state 
has made itself to be God. It has become what Hegel and the Hegelians wanted it to be, God walking on earth. This means there will be less and less freedom for us as this kind of thinking uh, develops. It will be the end of freedom so that we are in a very grave crisis. Douglas, you've seen a lot of this on the local county level as well as in urban centers where you've worked. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you see this modern state taking over more and more power from the people and playing God? Well, I think there's cause for optimism because uh, this government, as all governments have in the past, sow the seeds of their own destruction. Yes. Through getting larger and larger, they can consume more and more of the people's wealth until there isn't any anymore, and when the money runs out, they all go away. And it's just a, it's, it's a, not a question of if, it's only a matter of time. And uh, I think that since this country is... Uh, on the books, five and a half trillion dollars in debt with another twenty-some trillion dollars yes. of unfunded liabilities. We got to be getting close to the end of the string here somewhere uh, in the not too distant future, uh, because all those clerks and all of those uh, department heads uh, driving the cars with the uh, the pagers and the uh, all the rest of it, uh, the fax machines and all the rest of it, when there's no money to operate that machinery, that's the end of the game, as it was in Rome. When the clerks didn't get paid, that was the end of the game in Rome. There was nobody to run the empire, and uh, it fell apart. Uh, Rome wasn't conquered. The barbarians walked in unopposed, and the same thing will happen here. There's been predictions that the United States will break down into uh, regional entities along uh, uh, financial, uh, you know, that have uh, uh, financial uh, strengths in certain areas. But uh, eventually, the the government, uh, the the government will long, no longer be able to govern because it won't have the financial strength to govern. Uh, all of these uh, axioms of politics that money is the mother's milk of politics, uh, money is the mother's milk of the state, and without it the state can't exist. Uh, there's no practical way, although many have tried uh, uh, tax uh, protesting and all of that, which is uh, stupid, but... Uh, it's uh, it simply gives uh, uh, credence to the fact that once government gets too large, it it can no longer function, and it's just human nature. When all of those people don't get a paycheck, they're going to go home. It's the end of the welfare state. You know, it's it's interesting to me to hear politicians talk about corporate welfare. You know, they created it. Uh, they're the ones that. For instance, that uh, loaned Chrysler the money to stay afloat. They're the ones that loaned Lockheed the money to stay afloat uh, in order to maintain their political constituencies. 
because if they had cut off the money and they'd let those businesses go bankrupt and uh, put a lot of people out of work, those politicians would have been voted out of office. It's just that simple. Uh, so they're, they're hypocritical to a fault. Uh, they've created the welfare state, and uh, uh, when the welfare state uh, can no longer summon through taxes the money necessary to continue to function, that'll be the end of it. I, a lot of people have asked me, local business people, who are concerned and worried and apprehensive and so forth because nobody's making any money, everybody's working at... Uh, virtually a subsistence level and working very hard uh, here in California despite the glowing reports from the Chamber of Commerce etc um, uh, there uh, a lot of people are very concerned and they've they asked me uh, you know when where I think it's all going to end and uh, the answer is always the same when the money runs out and we I don't think we have to wait very long the money has run out and it's like, you know, the emperor has no clothes, but nobody wants to say so. Well, I was just thinking, Russ, that Plato taught that citizens exist for the purpose of the state, and um, a state that wants comprehensive control uh, tends to hold that view. Um, the past 20 years we've had, uh, for example, federal judges in this country. In fact, one recently, I believe, in Texas who said that uh, children belong to the state, they don't belong to the parents. And one of the judges in Cleveland, when I pastored in that area, and this was now about oh, 15 years ago, made some headlines by that comment. But that really is the mark of a state who uh, wants to be God walking the earth when it uh, finally believes that it owns uh, the children of parents. And, of course, um, all things else. That has to be resisted by Christians who press the claims of Jesus Christ saying that he owns everything. The state is a legitimate sphere of authority, but it's severely limited in Scripture, not for distributive justice, but retributive justice, and only according to the law of God, not to redistribute wealth. But so that's what Christians must be about, reducing the size of the state in a biblical way. I think a, a great current example is just watching the Soviet Union. You know, what really happened in the Soviet Union? They ran out of money. Socialism they always They couldn't always keep does. it together. They couldn't pay the clerks. Their mm -hmm. soldiers, the ones that came back from Afghanistan and Chechnya, are living in tents out in, uh, in uh, 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 remote areas and literally starving to death. So here is a perfect classic example of an empire that's fallen because it ran out of money. And yet the arrogance and stupidity of our leaders who think that they're going to dodge this, this uh, same uh, situation is, I mean, it just overwhelms me how they can continue day after day after day giving away billions of dollars and uh, uh, so forth that they don't have. I mean, they're you know, creating wealth out of thin air with debt and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and, you know, the balloon's got to pop. You mentioned the Soviet Union. Someone who was over there about 15, 17 years ago reported that uh, going by an army installation was 
very instructive if you uh, really learned what was going on there. It might seem impressive, but uh, row upon row of uh, trucks, hundreds upon hundreds of them, would be sitting there because they were cannibalizing uh, trucks to get parts to operate the ones that would operate. And in some instances, it would get down to one truck out of a hundred or more that uh, was functioning. Would you be surprised to find out that our army is doing exactly the same thing? That it is absolutely impossible for army procurement people to, to buy spare parts anymore because of all of the red tape involved. So what they do is they buy more trucks than they need knowing that they're going to take these brand new auto, new, new vehicles and tear them down for parts. You know, instead of buy, if they need a hundred trucks, they buy a hundred and twenty trucks knowing that twenty of those trucks are immediately going to be cannibalized for replacement parts. That's what they put in the warehouse. You go down to the to the surplus centers here. All of these military bases that they're decommissioning here in the western states are just full of these cannibalized vehicles. They're virtually they they're almost brand new. They got a few hundred miles on them. They're selling them for three hundred bucks a piece. Wow. So so I mean it's going on here. Now they're very they're they're very uh, wisely concealing this from the public because they will not sell these vehicles to the public. You and I can't go to a military base and bid on one of these cannibalized trucks and then go fix whatever it is that's missing on it. They will only sell these vehicles to public entities mm-hmm. so that the public will not find out what they're doing. You see nothing about it in the press, and you will see nothing about it in the press. And they intentionally keep this from the public been a major source of uh, Russian capital in the last few years is selling off military hardware and their their resources in that area are largely depleted now so they have a cash crisis that's why the um, the military is not getting paid factory workers I saw in the news the other day were being handed uh, cartons of mayonnaise that they could trade and that was their uh, all the payment that they were going to get is mayonnaise um, there, as long as the power, the government can keep functioning, it's going to keep functioning as usual. When there's a crisis, and whether this is very likely, it's going to be a debt crisis or an economic crisis of some kind. There will be changes, and they'll come very, very rapidly, just as they came rapidly with the Soviet Union. What form they could take? There's any number of cases. But I have a feeling that some of the change, a lot of the changes are going to be political, and a lot of the changes, I think, and we see rumblings of it today, are the states are going to start saying no to the federal government because there will be a consensus about the American people. They're going to point their fingers because Americans like to point their fingers and blame somebody. Mm-hmm. They're going to play, put, point the blame at Congress. The federal government says, "Look at what a mess you've gotten us into." And, you know, there's a saying, you know, that's been around for years, just say no to drugs. It's just going to just say no to the federal government. And the states are going to a lot assume a lot more responsibilities for what they should have been doing now for most of the century. 
Well, I've already admitted this. You know, the legislation that's been passed recently on welfare reform. I mean, the federal government has got dragged kicking and screaming to the table and forced to admit that they're incapable of administering an efficient welfare program. So, you know, various governors who have taken the initiative have shown them in practical in practical terms uh, how to do a better job, how to get by with less, and they've proven that they can do a better job than the federal government. So the, the federal government now is forced to, to admit that they can't do the job. So that's that's the crack in the armor, the you know the the uh, the crack in the wall, and that that crack is going to get widened. The 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 governors will continue to be emboldened uh, by that uh, success that they had recently. And if things in the president administration, if there are indictments, there's more rumblings of dishonesty or. Rumbling, Fun, you mean funny, earthquakes? Funny money uh, and well, money gathering and yeah, so forth. That Every, everything that discredits the federal government ultimately is going to help change things. And I'm not yeah. being, talking about finance reform or anything like that. People are going to say enough, especially when it comes what they've been promised as far as Social Security. They find that they're getting nothing. The, the only reason the media talks about it at all is because it's easy for people to understand. Because these larger issues, for instance, that we've discussed, you know, you start talking about billions, as John Lofton said, or somebody said, uh, you know, uh, uh, the accumulation of billions here and billions there, and pretty soon you're talking about big money. Well, uh, uh, a few hundred thousand dollars in political contributions. I think they they have uh, the White House has magnanimously returned three hundred fifty thousand dollars in allegedly illegal uh, campaign contributions that were solicited in the White House, accepted in the White House, and handed over to the Democratic National Committee. But that's nickel and dime stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, three hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know. Uh, wouldn't put gas in the uh, in the federal limousine fleet in Washington D.C. for a week, so it's it's nickel and dime stuff. The the big issue that people need to understand is the enormous debt that we're looking at, and uh, you know as you say, at some point the the states will say, look, we've demonstrated that we can do a better job with this welfare stuff. You worry about your your debt, and we'll worry about ours. So you know we're going to start collecting the taxes, and we'll give you what we think you need to run the federal government, uh, provide the constitutional mandate of uh, providing for the common defense, et cetera, and let us take care of the rest of it. So it's not going to be a you know an open rebellion, but it's going to be a, I think a gradual transition of who's going to spend the money. And I, I would hope that the counties would also assert themselves against the, the state legislatures. I know in California we've had an increasing problem in recent years. As the state feels the pinch, the state tells local districts, whether it's fire districts, counties, you send us all your tax revenue and we'll send you a check back. Well, and periodically yeah. it, it, deducting certain amounts 
that the local districts or the local counties never see again. It's the, gone. The guys at the state level are not stupid. They they saw that this plan worked so well for the federal government. Why not for them? So they just copied the same scam. You know, get all the money and then dole it out. And you, when you control the purse strings, you control the power. You you can you dictate who, what, and when. Well, we need to remember too that the modern democratic state can exist only in collusion with the majority of the population. As long as citizens feel that they're entitled to certain guarantees, then they, as Rush uses the term that I like, they'll have larceny in the heart and they'll be perfectly willing for the federal government or the state governments to step in and, and uh, confiscate wealth by means of taxation to redistribute wealth. So. What I'm saying is that individuals and families are going to have to be self-disciplined enough to say, we're not going to exist without this. We're going to exist without all of these handouts. And mm -hmm. we're going to, and that's, I think, when we can have large-scale change. And one of the modern myths that began in, in the last century is the myth that democracy will solve everything. Yeah. And we've had a, the most democratic governments and the most representative to, to governments that we've ever had and things have only gotten worse because the people want it. Like you say, there's larceny in people's hearts. Yeah. They, they, they liked the benefits. If they thought there was a benefit to federal power yeah. and taxation, if they got, thought they were going to get more in services than they paid in taxes. Well, everybody, you know, it's human nature. I mean, the politicians have been uh, superb at voting themselves benefits out of the public treasury. Uh, they voted themselves benefits superior to what the average person uh, gets, either from welfare or anything else. They get pensions, uh, million dollar pensions and uh, everything free uh, to maintain their lifestyle for the rest of their lives. Uh, but what's interesting is that the chickens are starting to come home to roost uh, with the gradual uh, pulling away from Christianity uh, polls that have been done, for instance, that have asked the question, do you think that what the White House done is, is uh, immoral? Well, people that are 50 and 60 years old, they say, yeah, you know, this is not right. Uh, but when they get down to people in their 30s, they say, well, you know, it goes on. And then when they ask people in their 20s, they say, they don't care. Because, you know, to them, uh, they, they automatically assume that politicians are crooked. All that's politicians right. are crooked. The data, that's right. That's and, and a good it, point. And it, it's, you know, the, the, by the time you get down to the kids in their 20s and early 30s, they've already adopted the attitude that it's everybody for themselves. You know, you just keep moving and try to stay out of the stay out, stay out of the way of the federal government and the state government and get all you can get while you can get it. Yeah. And recent polls have indicated that, especially in the age groups that you said, more and more people are presuming that morality is not a prerequisite, any kind of morality. Well, they've been talked out of it. They've been conditioned out of it both from the time they were in grade school. Well, they want to elect people to office that are like them. Sure. Yeah. And that's the problem. I mean, that's the problem with people that attack the present president in spite of all of his sins. There, there, are, there are thousands of men just like him who they would be happy to elect. The, the bottom line is, is that if Bill Clinton got thrown out of office tomorrow, there's a hundred more just like him waiting in the wings. Precisely. You know, from Al Gore on down. Which means ultimately there are no political solutions. We have yeah. to have Christian solutions and a culture. Absolutely.
<laughs> I get to preaching there, Rush, and start pounding the table. Well, <clears throat> the modern state, because it has no God, has no law. And that's its fundamental evil. There is no morality possible with a modern state. For the hicks like us, they may go to church occasionally and mention God and talk a bit sanctimoniously when they're running for re-election. But most of the time, they are not in the least bit interested in anything Christian or moral. I recall one uh, writer in the 50s writing about Washington, D.C., who concluded there was not a thimble full of Christianity in the entire city, that the political order paid lip service to religion and morality while disregarding it in practice day after day, month after month, year in and year out. Well, that was 40 years or so ago, and the situation is much worse now. The idea of law is far, far gone. In its place is the idea of controls and coercion. I was interested to read in a periodical which is conservative the statement that having been on a flight with uh, a prominent conservative reformer a, a member of Congress he said he was interested to see that he had with him a woman who was obviously in the word he used a floozy and uh, of course, as they got off, they separated until they got outside the airport. And he said, uh, so much for a better moral stance by conservatives. When we go back into history, we find that as the modern state arose, it worked progressively to uh, discredit God's law. During the Cromwellian years, Massachusetts, for example, had very definitely turned to biblical law. In fact, John Eliot, the uh, missionary to the Indians, had started the villages of praying Indians, as they were called, of self-governing units using God's law. But what happened was that the minute King Charles II came to the throne, he ordered every copy of Eliot's uh, compilation of biblical law destroyed. Two copies alone survived accidentally. Royal law was status law. It, it's, it asserted the priority and in fact the exclusive jurisdiction of the monarch over the people. God was not supposed to intervene. The king would take care of everything. Well, of course, 
not only has God not been allowed to intervene, but he has been progressively dropped from the picture. So you have the blueprint for uh, uh, tyranny, the state playing God. The state is God walking on earth. This situation is not going to be reversed by any attempt at recapturing the state in any way other than by conversion. There are too many people who believe that revolution or uh, votes or pressure or taking to the streets is going to change the government. It won't. People are born into sin. They are depraved. They will not change unless they are converted. So the choice is conversion or coercion. And all too many Christians choose coercion. They have all kinds of ideas of what we ought to do to take back power. And I think we'll see more idiots like that in the days ahead as things get worse. It's the epitome of futility. We have to return to the basic task of evangelism, bringing men and nations into captivity to Christ. I ceaselessly remind people, and we must constantly do this rush, that we Christian Reconstructionists don't want to replace big secular government, civil government, with big Christian civil government. And we're often slandered along that yeah, line. And so what we're trying to do is to embrace central government and impose biblical law against everybody's wishes. And that's simply not true, because as you pointed out, we believe first in self-government of the Christian man under God, and then family government and church government and various intermediate governments, and then only finally one government on, among many, the state. Well... People need to understand that, and it's, things are only going to change, as you said, by biblical regeneration and by godly families and churches standing up for the faith. That's how long-term change is going to come, not by getting the guns and uh, attacking Sacramento or Washington, D.C. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they hear us talk about biblical law, when they think about law, they think about laws, plural, many laws, uh, and when they, we talk about biblical law, they think we're talking about just that, a bunch of rules. Yes. And then they, they identify the rules that we talk about, the laws we talk about that they don't like. Yeah. And we're talking about biblical law with a capital L yes. as, a, as a moral principle that has to govern man, and, and beginning with the individual. We, and also, we need to, when, when, when they hear biblical law, almost always they think in, think in terms of state law. Mm-hmm. But when we say biblical law, that's only a small aspect of yes. the law. I don't think that they understand that. We'd be ahead on a numbers basis, if nothing else. I think, Rush, you told me that in the Bible there's something like 600 uh, specified uh, laws. 613, according to the rabbinic count, which divides some laws into two and three. So a Christian count would be maybe 50, 75 less. Okay. Uh, in California, on an average, the state legislature passes between three and four thousand new laws 
every year. Yeah. And you layer that on top of the, along with the federal government, uh, with the, our full-time uh, career legislators who have nothing else to do but think of ways to uh, uh, treat us like uh, Gulliver and keep attaching little strings to us by the thousands so that you right. can't move at all in any direction without tugging on some regulator's chain uh, up at the top. That's right. So we'd, we'd be much further ahead with biblical law and it would be much easier to understand. Uh, people today are hard-pressed to know when they're breaking law because there are thousands right. of them. Uh, I mean, the, the tax laws, uh, nobody, virtually no one, unless they have a very, very simple situation, uh, is bold enough to prepare their own income tax. Yeah. Yeah. The vast majority of people are so terrified that they're going to make some niggling little mistake and incur the wrath of the federal government, uh, they're forced to go pay $150, $200 to some, quotes professional tax preparer who's supposed to know all of the rules uh, just so that they can sleep at night. Yeah. And uh, it's absurd. Yeah. There's people who think biblical law is tyrannical, and you know, there's so many out there like that. Oh, you stand for... Biblical law, well, that's tyrannical. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's absurd and, and amusing. What do we have now? I mean, it's the absence of biblical law that leads to tyranny, not biblical law. Well, we have tyranny. That's the, that yeah. precisely. That's the whole point. If you ask them what biblical laws they they didn't approve of, it's probably a half a dozen. That's right. Yeah. That they're scared. <laughs> it tells you it's a moral problem. That's right. It's a moral problem. Absolutely. It's not the technicalities that's of right. biblical law. I asked a fellow a while back, you know, who asked me the question, you know, where is this all going to lead and, you know, how are we going to come out, you know, with all these problems with the government and so forth. And, and uh, I said, you know, it would be very simple if we could just get people to follow the Ten Commandments. I mean, there's ten simple rules. It's simpler than the driver's test. It's simpler than a pilot's license. It's simpler than almost any kind of test you can take. If we just get them to follow those ten rules... And, you know, this fellow's a good Catholic, goes to church every Sunday. He says, but that's that's awfully hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. There was, I believe, you heard the controversy a couple of weeks ago, speaking of the Ten Commandments. It was the judge in Alabama that uh, yes. had the Ten Commandments up on his uh, chamber wall and I believe was... Did that end up that he was required to remove them? Uh, He's being sued to yeah. do that. Yeah. <clears throat> and also, he had prayers, Christian prayers, mm -hmm. in, in the courtroom, the open mm -hmm. court sessions, and they've been doing that apparently for many years. Well, we know one thing. These secularists want nothing but absolute dominion. They don't believe in freedom. They believe in their own freedom. Uh, that is freedom from God and from biblical faith and freedom for everything that is anti-God. And slavery to the state. And slavery to the state. One of the leading Jewish attorneys in the country, liberal Jew, and I, we mentioned his name before that, before the, uh, uh, the thing tonight, said he would not be satisfied till every last vestige of any sort of organized religion is completely expunged from public life. I mean, that was 
relentlessly driving him. Um, by which he means he will substitute his own unorganized religion of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5, that he will be his God. Well, fortunately, that's not the view of of all all of them. Uh, he simply gets a little more press. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <clears throat> well, we have a crisis. There are many people, I hear this regularly, uh, these things come and go. Uh, the pendulum will swing in our favor after a while. Well, that is the sheerest kind of idiocy, even though some very intelligent people uh, express that. There is no historical pendulum. It's a question of either a reformation uh, in which Christian regeneration is stressed or a further disintegration until the culture disappears or becomes absorbed by another conquering it. Well, there's a lot of possibilities. You know, the one of the possibilities, because the, the presidency in this country has been given, quotes, emergency powers by Congress. And in effect, what that means is that overnight the president can become a dictator, absolute <laughs> dictator, and, and rule by decree. Uh, uh, Congress seems to be more than willing to give up its prerogatives and give up the the uh, uh, co-equal power uh, structure of our government as long as they get all their perks. That's right. Uh, That's as long as they get their as long as they get their paychecks and as long as they continue to get their uh, retirements and and uh, all of their perks, uh, they just as soon have the president run the country. Yeah. And uh, uh, it, it won't take very much to to make that happen. Uh, this one acts as if he is ruling by decree mm -hmm. by some of the things that he's come up with, uh, like the post-term abortion and all that sort of thing, or late-term mm -hmm. abortion mm -hmm. uh, issue. He's perfectly uh, willing to take charge any time, or at least people close to him are more than willing to take charge. So that's just one possible uh, scenario. Another scenario is that the... the um, uh, a lot of people's attitudes may be changed toward religion if there's a cataclysmic event, such as a tectonic plate shift. Uh, or an economic collapse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, any one of these things are going to make people instantly realize that the government is not all-powerful. Uh, and it's interesting, for instance, during these floods to see how impotent the government really is. Every time there's a natural disaster here in California, the Office of Emergency Services runs out there and, uh, you know, makes all of these uh, grand pronouncements uh, that, uh, well, we didn't do very well this time, but we have reordered our priorities and we have restructured our procedures and we're going to do better next time. Well, this keeps happening with every yeah. natural disaster. They never seem to get it right. And the more they do this, the more they uh, show the general population that government is really incapable of coping with these things. So right. if some really big disaster comes along, uh, you know, major, major earthquake, uh, an eight or a nine, or, you know, like the earthquake they had down in the southeast part of the United States, 
you know, a long time ago, which incidentally is 20 years overdue according to the earthquakeologists. Um, there, you know, the Mississippi River ran backwards and uh, some states mm-hmm. filled up like lakes and, you know, some pretty big things happened. Well, I imagine that anybody observing this would conclude that, hey, you know, there is somebody bigger that, that's, yeah. uh, you know, running the show. You know, and, and the, the argument is who's in charge? And it will become very apparent very quick that the government is not in charge. They cannot control these kinds of events. One of our problems today is that modern man has a religious trust in the state. I recall very vividly after World War II when portions of uh, Oregon along the Columbia were built up when people who lived there knew that those were floodplains, that periodically that area was underwater. But it was assumed that that was no longer a problem, that uh, federal agencies would be able to cope with it. Well, not long into the, uh, well, maybe the late 40s, early 50s, I think it was the late 40s, there was a disastrous flood there. And uh, nobody learned anything by it because all over the country they began to build on floodplains, whether it was in Orange County or up here in Northern California or back east. And now they're getting disasters. And they're not waking up to the fact that we created them. One book uh, describing these things was titled Acts of God, Acts of Men. Mm-hmm. And it pointed out that uh, indeed there are things like earthquakes and the like that are acts of God. But today so many of our natural disasters are acts of men, a product of their contempt for God and for natural forces created by God. So we are seeing this year in particular, disasters all over the United States. And the question is, are we going to learn anything from all of this? It's, it's interesting in, in casualty insurance policies and the fine print that they have slowly but surely eliminated the clause acts of God because they're not sure which ones are which anymore. <laughs> hmm. Well, there's reason to be uh, pessimistic a little bit about this country I don't I think we need to mention what's going on in um, the African nation of Zambia um, in 1991 a Christian president and vice president were both elected in that country which was socialistic severely Marxist uh, a hotbed for Marxist training and torture and all sorts of things for 27 years and um they have a largely Christian parliament now, and while there are still problems there, making the transition from socialism to free market, there we have a case where evil has been reversed, even though yes. on a somewhat small scale. And um, that's something that we can uh, rejoice in. And those brothers and sisters there in Zambia are either ignored or viciously attacked in the Western press. And we need to pray for them and do what we can to help them. 
It's interesting to note that the majority of these really ugly governments that have arisen post-World War II in Africa, that most of those leaders, some that have left the scene, some violently, most of them violently, were all educated Trained in the, Sor- in the West. Sorbonne and Paris, yes, exactly. Where they learned all of the, the worst lessons, of the, uh, they, they learned all the wrong things about the French Revolution. Well... Mao was the same, and so many communists. It was the but. But the interesting thing is that they always think they're going to get it right. That all these yeah. other guys before them that that failed uh, simply, you know, didn't follow the plan. So all of these various communist governments, uh, Cambodia, uh, all of these various governments, uh, where all of these guys have been trained in these uh, by Marxists in Marxist universities. They all think they're going to get it right. Our our leaders in the White House think that they're going to get it right. That somehow all of these other presidents before uh, just just didn't get it right. Yeah, what is it? Uh, is it von Mises says in, in his book on socialism, the problem with secular socialists is that they think that they can change nature. They can alter the very structure of nature, well, the very structure of man. They think they're God. They're infected with perpetual terminal arrogance. It, it never ends. That's right. I mean, every generation seems to spawn a whole bunch of them again. They, they totally ignore history. Yes. And some that, of them pay for it with their lives. Well, you that's know, why socialism Af- exists, and those are because people ignore history. A lot that's of right. these African leaders, you know... Uh, they don't get voted out. They get voted out of office at the at the point of a gun, you know, by their own people. They get killed by their own people, but they don't see it coming. So, well, it's interesting that you said they don't learn from history. In Christian schools, history is taught. In the public schools, it's social studies, and the whole point of social studies is how man can control the course of things how he can control nature and other men and all social problems. Well, it's it's how to get along by going along Mm -hmm. is what they teach. But the Christian school students will in time control the future because they're better prepared for it. And also, there are going to be more and more of them because uh, the wicked on the whole tend to abort their own seed and Christians tend to have more children and uh, there are going to be more and more of them trained in the faith. Well, things are, you can see things in the world are about to make a big change. If you go back 30 years, y- your, uh, your forecast for the future was kind of locked into was NATO and the Soviet Union and Red China and those just looked like just these huge forces that, that were going to dominate things for 30 years. Now we're looking at um, a Soviet Union that, that no longer exists and that's who knows what's going to even happen with Russia. We're looking at China is has major problems. Uh, there's talk about the the change in Hong Kong going over. Many people believe that's going to really infect China with a spirit of free enterprise and freedom. Uh-huh. That it's ra- rather than basically squelching enterprise uh-huh. in Hong Kong, it's yeah. going to, it may end up being the other way around. Yeah. And uh, 
we see our economy very here we are where our major enemies seem to be weak or defeated and we're looking at our own weakness and talking mm-hmm. about our own weakness in that face and it, it shouldn't be so the next 30 years is yeah. obviously there's going to be some huge changes there's maps are going to be redrawn That's right the relations of nations are going to be redrawn and when you factor in another thing, you know, the will of God and, and what the Spirit of God is going to do, we can say politically and economically major changes coming down. Mm-hmm. There's an infinite number of ways God can use that further to make dramatic changes well, what, that we can't the, even foresee. One of the statements that absolutely infuriates me by some of these brain-dead people in the media is that we won the Cold War. We won nothing. You know, it's like saying that the guy wound up at the end of the fight, you know, with only one black eye instead of two. You know, we're, we're both broke. Uh, we both spent all of our money. Uh, we just, uh, we're you know, standing. You know, we're yeah. left standing. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're bleeding to death financially. As you know, Mark, the uh, map makers are busy nowadays. Because maps are changing so rapidly. And uh, every year almost there are major changes somewhere uh, around the world Mm -hmm. in the uh, lines, uh, the boundaries of countries. Asia, Africa, Europe, the Americas, and the one stable area, not in terms of internal affairs, but in terms of uh, boundaries, is likely to be Latin America. There are those who feel that if uh, Quebec goes independent, some of the East Coast Canadian areas will seek admission into the United States. Well. There are other dramatic changes that are envisioned by many. The world is very unstable. It is falling apart because, as Yeats said at the beginning of the century, the center does not hold. There is no center any longer. Men, having lost their faith, are like rudderless ships and they are embarking on a collision course. Well, our time is nearing its end. Is there a final comment that you'd like to make? Well, I, you know, we, we often paint a, a grim picture in some of our discussions, but uh, I think it's uh, wise to uh, take heart from history and the, the foibles of past empires that we will not escape uh, uh, these the changes which are coming. Uh, we don't know what direction it's going to be, but I think uh, uh, as Christians we'll be better prepared to meet whatever challenges come about. Uh, and uh, children who attend Christian school will be much better able to meet the challenges. No one can really foretell exactly what's going to happen. Uh, you know, we can see trends, or we think we can spot trends, and we can see potential uh, uh, grim possibilities in the future, but the one definite thing that stands out uh, is that uh, God will be there for us, 
if we're there for him. And that uh, all of the, uh, as you know, I mentioned before, uh, this empire will fall too. Uh, whether it's the money running out or whether it's a cataclysmic uh, natural event that forces people to turn to God. Because believe me, when you got your back to the wall and the water's coming at you, uh, the first thing on when people get in the jam, and I've, I've been in lots of them, and I've been with people who've been in, in situations where death was imminent, the first thing they do is pray to God. Yes. You know, the, the, there are no such things as atheists on the battlefield. I can right. tell you that for certain. Well, let me accent that by reading a great verse in Daniel chapter 2, a prediction of uh, the sovereign God through Daniel. It says, In the days of these kings, that is the ancient empire, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, that is, the kingdom of Christ, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Can't get a better guarantee than that. That's right. Yes. Well, thank you all for listening. Send in your questions, and God bless you. Good night.